0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. On this day, the first Sunday of Lent, the church commemorates two different things. The first, from ancient times, the church commemorated the prophets. That's why we heard the word prophets mentioned in both the Epistle and the Gospel. St. Paul talks about the suffering of the prophets. Um, And in the Gospel of John, we hear uh, Philip say, tell Nathanael, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. But in the 700s and in the 800s, the church underwent persecution from within of those who um, thought that it was idol worship to venerate icons. And then in 843, the icons were restored to the church by Empress Theodora on the first Sunday of Lent. And so we also commemorate icons. So today what I'm going to try to do is try to connect these and show you how the prophets and the icons both point us to an incarnational faith. So first, we'll go through, we'll talk about icons. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about icons. And I'm going to read off some scripture verses and try to connect the dots for you about icons, the word icon and image. So some of these will be familiar to those of you who came to our Christian Ed on Saturday nights. So John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word that we're talking about here is Jesus Christ himself. Genesis 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning God created heaven and earth. Genesis 1:26 Then God said, "Let us make man in our image according to our likeness." So God made man in the image of God. He made him male and female. He made them. That word image in Greek is icon. Okay? John 1:14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So God creates man, He creates the world, and then He creates man in His image, and then He takes flesh, and then God gives His Son because He loves the world. Why did He give His Son? Colossians 1.13. He gave us his Son to deliver us out of the power of darkness and translate us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And then two verses later, St. Paul refers to this Son as the image of the invisible God. And again, that word icon is there. So what am I trying to say? Jesus is the image of the Father. And mankind is the image of Jesus Christ. And God created matter, and it was good. And then God took flesh, and it was very good. And so, therefore, we depict that which we have seen, and we venerate that which we depict, giving honor not to the wood and the paint and the material, but to the prototype, Jesus Christ, who is the icon of the Father. And why do we do this? We do this out of love. Because God loved us first. First John 4:19. We do this out of love because God has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So, God created matter, and it was good. God created man, it was very good. God allowed man to create icons so that man could have a relationship with the prototype through the icon. Not for the icon to become an end in and of itself, but so that we can have relationship. This word keeps coming up over and over again, doesn't it? We repent so that we can have relationship with God. We venerate icons so that we can have relationship with God and with his saints. The icons are not ends, in and of themselves. You can have your whole house adorned with icons. That doesn't make you orthodox. You could be an art collector. But icons are more than art. They're more than art. Icons are incarnate portals or gateways to relationship with God, with the God-man, and with The saints, those who have relationship with God. And everything in the church, everything in the church always points back to the incarnation of God in the flesh. The word carnal means meat, right? Like carne, asada, right? It means meat. And to be incarnate means to be enfleshed. Meaning to have meat on the bones. Our God is not an ethereal idea, He is not an energy force. Our God is greater than the force in Star Wars. Our God is personal. And our God, who is invisible and uncircumscribed and exists outside of time, in time, took flesh to bring us closer to Him. And in time, within the confines of time, He offers us His body and blood. Within time, He was crucified, and He died, and He was buried, and He rose again. This is our salvation. It happened through matter. So we use matter to get back to God. So icons are expressions of love and affirmations of the incarnation of the Word of God, of Jesus Christ. Orthodox faith is incarnational. We don't think about love. We show our love. We don't say that we love or believe something. We show it. We do it. We incarnate it. Right? For those of you who were here for the services in the first week of Lent, we aren't just saying, Have mercy on me, O God. We're bowing down to the ground and doing prostrations. Right? There is no dichotomy in the Orthodox Church between the spiritual world and the physical world. There is no two-story universe. There is a one-story universe where God is with us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we use the physical to ascend to the spiritual heights. As St. James says in chapter 2, we don't just tell someone, go and be warmed without giving them a coat and the things that they need to be warmed. This is a Gnostic idea. But can you imagine, can you imagine being married to somebody and telling them on your wedding day, I love you, and never showing that for the next 50 years? It's not much of a marriage, not much of a relationship, right? Or you can say, I love you, don't you know that I love you? And somebody could say, you never show it. So, icons, we do not worship icons, and we do not pray to icons per se. We pray before icons, to the prototype, right? Because when someone dies, especially a holy person, they don't cease to exist. We. They still have a relationship with God, and we can still have a relationship with them. And so we ask them for their prayers. I'll give you a wonderful example. St. John of Damascus, who wrote the treatise in defense of the icons, which was used at the 7th Ecumenical Council in 787, To affirm our belief in the icons, St. John of Damascus was working in the court of the Muslim Caliph in Damascus. And while he's working there, he's defending Christianity from the iconoclastic emperor. Okay, And the Caliph is protecting him from the emperor. It's very funny how that works. But eventually, the emperor gets word to the caliph that St. John is doing some not-so-good things, right? Because the emperor's mad at him. The emperor was an iconoclast. He was destroying the icons. He said it was idol worship. So the emperor has the caliph cut off St. John's right hand. And St. John obtains the hand from the caliph, and he goes that night, and St. John really loved... The Theotokos. He had a relationship with the Theotokos. So he goes before the Theotokos and he takes his hand and he puts it up to his little stub on his wrist and he prays all night, please, my lady, please heal me. Because it was the hand he used for writing and composing. He was a hymnographer, he was a poet, uh, and, and he was a theologian. And so he prayed all night, and she healed him. He woke up in the morning, and his hand was reattached, just as it had been. Did the icon heal him, or did the prototype of the icon heal him by God's grace? She healed him by God's power. The relationship took place through the window, so to speak, of the icon, okay? So then what happened? Then what happened? Then Saint John, out of gratitude, he painted an icon of the Theotokos with a third hand, a third hand that he put in silver, okay? And so that icon is still there. On, on Mount, it's on Mount Athos today. And, um, and then he wrote a hymn of thanksgiving to the Mother of God. You see how this relationship works? This is real communion with real people. And that hymn that he wrote, we will hear in a few minutes in the liturgy during the anaphora. In thee rejoices all creation. Full of grace. Right? We will hear that hymn. So when you hear that hymn, you can know the backstory of where that came from. It's a hymn of thanksgiving from St. John to the Mother of God for healing his hand. And this all took place through the relationship that they have through this, through an icon. Interestingly, I'll add this in. The rest of the story is, at some point the icon was given to um, St. Sava, Archbishop of Serbia, and then during an invasion of Serbia by the Turks, the icon, with three hands, was put on a donkey with no rider and just sent off to protect the icon. And the donkey walked straight to Mount Athos and stopped in front of a monastery. And the monk said, we know what to do with this. And so it's at Highlander Monastery on Mount Athos. And and it's still there to this day. So icons point us to the Incarnation and help us have relationship with the saints. I'll finish with a beautiful rebuttal of the iconoclast by St. John of Damascus from his treatise on the holy images. He says, "...of old God the incorporeal, the bodiless, and uncircumscribed was never depicted. Now, however, when God is seen clothed in the flesh and conversing with men, I make an image of the God whom I see. I do not worship matter, I worship the God of matter, who became matter for my sake, and deigned to inhabit matter, who worked out my salvation through matter. I will not cease from honoring that matter which works my salvation. I venerate it, though not as God. How could God be born out of lifeless things? And if God's body is God by union, it is immutable. The nature of God remains the same as before, The flesh created in time is quickened by a logical and reasoning soul. He goes on, I honor all matter besides and venerate it. I honor all matter besides and venerate it. This is very different from our disposable culture that we live in today. Through it, filled as it were, through it, filled uh, the matter Filled me. Was not it with the divine power and grace that my salvation has come through the thrice blessed wood of the cross? Was not the sacred and holy mountain of Calvary matter? What of the life giving rock, the holy sepulchre, the source of our resurrection? Was it not matter? Is not the most holy book of the Gospels matter? Is not the blessed table matter which gives us the bread of life? Are not the gold and silver matter out of which crosses and altar plate and chalices are made? And before all these things, is not the body and blood of our Lord matter? either do away with the veneration and worship due to all these things, or submit to the tradition of the church and the worship of images honoring God and His friends and following in this the grace of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, our culture has become iconoclastic. Okay? It has torn down the icons, removed them from churches, put up white walls and video screens, and made everything ethereal and everything mental. And in doing so, it's lost the proper orientation and relationship with God. But we have been given a gift. We have been given a treasure in the church, that the icons have been preserved. So that doesn't make us better than everybody else. It makes us more, what's the word? It it gives us a heavier responsibility. That's it. It makes us more obligated to have a proper relationship. So let us not waste this gift that has been given to us. Let us... Encounter the saints. Encounter God through the icons. Because the incarnation is what the prophets were pointing towards. The incarnation is what the prophets were suffering for. The incarnation is what they were waiting for. We have that gift. We have that gift. And let us not take it for granted. To Christ our God... The incarnate Savior of our souls be glory, honor, and worship together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst.